Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Fantastic, Pastor Adrienne, coolest chick on the block. I'm kind of, I'm a little bit biased, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, she is my wife of many years, and uh, I'm blessed to be her husband. More than she's blessed to have me as her husband. Come on, somebody. Oh, that'll preach. All right, well, fantastic. Who is loving this morning? Come on, somebody. Worship was tops, everything. And I don't even mean from like a performance standpoint, okay? I'm talking that the spirit of the living God is in this room. And I've been putting it on Instagram for weeks in and weeks out. That church, the service time, quote unquote, the program might begin at 10.30 a.m. But the church begins, the church starts, church gets going. Come on, somebody. When two or more begin to gather in his name. So I don't care if you're here early. I don't care if you stay late. This is church. Come on, who's ready for church? Oh, well, this morning, like Pastor Scott said earlier, we are continuing our series, This Is Us. Somebody say, This Is Us. Oh, man, I can just feel the presence of God over this place. It's not my sweat. It's not the humidity. It is the lordship of Jesus Christ, and we're going to take full advantage of it. But, yes, we are in the series called This Is Us right now, and I am pumped. I got some plans for the fall, so this will end at some point in time. But for now, we are still on this roller coaster. Has it blessed you? Has it been good? Can you guys get it up for Pastor Scott last week? Come on, all gas, no brakes. You know, I would have pulled a little, little more uh, southern connotation there, pop the clutch or something, you know. Um, but it was good, Scott. It was good. Also, you look like Tony Soprano. Anyways, um, just wanted to say it. This morning, though, we are continuing our series, This Is Us. And if you're new with us this morning, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the last eight weeks of this message series. We have been in a message series just going after what it looks like to actually be a Christian. What did Jesus say? What did his disciples say? Come on somebody, how many of you know that to be a disciple means to be disciplined in the ways of Jesus? If you are to be a disciple of Jesus, it is to be disciplined in the ways of Jesus. And right now we live in a time and a place with a generation with a generation who has a religious view of Christian on their social media, but this is less about a religious view and more about a resurrected you, amen? And so that is what we are going after. What does your life, the human lived in experience, look like when resurrection, not religion, is at the forefront, amen? So this morning, if you're taking notes, where my note takers at? Come on, you are now my favorite people. The title of my message is this, a foretaste, a foretaste. I am also in the loosest pants I've ever worn in my entire life, and I'm incredibly uncomfortable, uh, so just throwing that out there, a foretaste. But y'all ready for the scripture this morning? Y'all ready to see what God's word says? Come on. We're coming out of the book of Luke, Luke 7, 36 through 50. I'm going to read this quick. It's a bit of, it's a bit of meat, but I promise you um, we're going to break it down, and we're going to see what God will do with it. Sound good? All right. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. 
If you think about that sentence long enough, that will radically change your life. Just throwing that out there. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have a dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with an expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet, pouring the perfume on them, breaking the alabaster jar. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss from that time I came, from the time I came in. She has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected me the courtesy of oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with this rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. She has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman one more time, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We're going to pray. I'm going to try not to cry. And uh, we're going to see what God will do. Sound good? Father God, Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you so much for your kindness and your patience and your grace and your mercy and your love and your Holy Spirit that's in this room right now. Father, we just ask that you would hover over this word, that you would hover over our minds, that you would hover over our hearts, that today, God, we would leave radically transformed for the cause of the mission of heaven in Jesus Christ in the earth. Father, today, Father, we didn't come for a program. We came to be flooded. We came to be taken over. We came today, Father God, so that we can leave this place so filled by your Holy Spirit, by your living presence, that we would tangibly leave looking more like your son Jesus than your adopted son, Matt McClure. So come and have your way in every single person underneath the sound of my voice in this room and watching online. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. A foretaste. A foretaste. I love the book of Luke. I love the book of Luke because the book of Luke was written to Gentiles. What is a Gentile? Anybody who's not a Jew, a.k.a. you and me, okay? We are Gentiles, and basically what that means is uh, Luke, whom is a doctor, by the way, 
breaks it down real clear and simple for those of us that didn't go to, like, to Jewish camp or school, okay? Like, we don't know all of the stuff. We haven't studied all the stuff. We weren't raised in that culture. And so Luke breaks it down real simple for all of us, especially Matt McClure. And so Luke, he breaks this down, and it's awesome because Luke, being one of the disciples, how many of you know when Jesus calls his disciples, he always told you, hey, drop whatever it is that you're doing and take up your cross and follow me. Like, that's how Jesus rolls. And I think it's awesome that Luke is a doctor because I'm kind of going, what did you, like, was he in the middle of an appointment or something? And Jesus is like, yo, drop that stethoscope, you know, drop that whatever, like, and come follow me. And you're standing like, do I bring this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what does a doctor drop? Because that's kind of a necessity. Fishermen, not so much. Doctors, we need those, right? Amen. But here's Luke. And Luke being a Gentile, or no, he's writing to the Gentiles, sorry. He breaks this down very clear for you and me, and I think he chooses his words so wisely. I think he describes this so wisely, and he really paints a clear picture of what is happening in this room, in this Pharisee's home. You see, this portion of scripture starts off, and it says, a Pharisee invited Jesus over to his house. Now, I don't know about you, but as for me and my house and as for me and takeover, we believe the word of God is the inspired, infallible word of God. We believe it is perfect harmony. We believe this is God's heart for the human story. And by God's heart for the human story, there is not a punctuation mark that is off. There is not something that wasn't designed or inspired. There is something that God is trying to get through to every single one of us, that this is my plan. Because it's my plan, it's actually what's best for your life. And so I don't believe anything is amiss in here. That's where I'm coming from today with such conviction. Because I can tell you this first sentence in this portion of scripture should change our lives. A Pharisee invited Jesus over for dinner. Now, if you've read any of the rest of the Gospels, you would understand that Pharisees are a bunch of religious jerks. Uh, and basically all they do is take all of their time and they are just shooting shots at Jesus. They are just putting him on notice, putting him on blast, trying to embarrass him, trying to trip him up, trying to get him to contradict the Torah, trying to get him to contradict himself, trying to get him to be found slipping. And they never get it. And so it's interesting to me that a Pharisee would invite Jesus over to their house and Jesus actually obliged because he's better than Matt McClure. But Jesus goes over to this Pharisee's house because he was invited. Friends, I don't know where your story is. I don't know where your life lies. I don't know what you've done or what you haven't done, how long you've been with Jesus or how short you've been with Jesus. I don't know what you and Jesus' relationship actually looks like today. But what I can tell you this is that even if a Pharisee invited Jesus, Jesus still turns up. Jesus never turns his nose up. Jesus always turns up. So I don't know what your life has looked like. Maybe you feel like your faith is fake. Maybe today you feel like a pretender. Maybe you feel like you just have a religious view on Facebook and things have been distant between you and God. I came to encourage you today. I pray and I believe you are not a Pharisee. So therefore, I believe Jesus is down to come and meet with you because if he's down to come and hang out in a home where he knows he will be ridiculed, where he will be talked bad to, where he will be slandered across, like that dude starts trashing Jesus in front of him, okay? Like in those kind of homes, Jesus loves to dwell and our scripture says, I stand at the door and I knock. I stand at the door and I knock. Jesus, no matter how far you've gone, 
no matter what your life has looked like, no matter what summer has looked like for you, no matter what COVID has looked like for you, no matter the displacement in your faith that you feel and you're like, I used to be so in love with Jesus, I just don't know how to get back there. You start like the Pharisee did and you begin today inviting Jesus to come and sit at your table. I stand at the door and I knock. Friends, today, the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, he is standing at the door of the hearts in this room and he is knocking and he is ready to come in and he is ready to receive and he is ready with empathy and he is ready with love and he is ready with grace and he is ready with courage and boldness and audacity and he is coming to sit with you. That's who our God is. So while that may not be the point of my message today, because it is in this scripture, it is needed. It is needed. It has to be understood. Imagine our world. Imagine your workplace. Imagine your home. Imagine our generation. I love the church. She is the most beautiful bride I have ever seen. Because she's Jesus' bride and he is dressing her in dazzling white silk and linen to present her blameless on the last of days. That is the bride of Christ and she's gorgeous. But could you imagine what she would look like if we weren't the most distracted generation in the world, but instead we were the most committed generation in the world, that we were the most faithful generation in the world, that there would never have to be an incident that involves Jesus needing to once again knock on the doors of our hearts to come in and eat with us, but instead he would set up shop, he would come and live, this would be his home. And actually from that very door that he entered into, he would then depart to go into your friends and your neighbors and your family members and into their homes. This is the mission. So the scripture goes on to say, because Dr. Luke, I love calling him Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke puts it, all of a sudden, Jesus, he's at this Pharisee's house and this religious ruler, this person who loves the wax Torah but has zero faith that Jesus is actually the coming Messiah. He even calls him a prophet. He calls him a man. He calls him all of these things except Savior. And so what happens is, is all of a sudden there's this woman. This woman shows up. We don't even get her name, friends. And yet to me, this is one of the most powerful stories in all of Scripture. This is one of the most powerful accounts of what you and I are a part of as the church. This is our history. I feel like we're a generation that needs to recognize this is more than just a moral book. This is our inheritance. This is our history. This is where you and I come from. People fought hard for this. People gave their lives to this. Acts is full of beheadings. And we can't even live for this. This is who we are. And so this woman, she is so important to me today because there is a foretaste that takes place. And this woman, it says that she comes into this home. She barges in and she comes in and she is weeping and she is washing Jesus' feet and she is using her hair to wipe her tears away to clean his feet. I mean, they wore sandals back then, okay? Them feet would have been nasty. Even our beautiful, perfect Savior, Jesus' feet would have been nasty. And this woman... She comes in, and she gets down on her hands and her knees, and she can't help herself. She is overcome. The Spirit of the Lord has taken her over, and she can't help 
but cry at the feet of Jesus. Wash the feet of Jesus. Weep at the feet of Jesus. But the Bible doesn't even give her a name. Dr. Luke doesn't even bother to get her name. In fact, these Pharisees and religious rulers and the people around her table, around this table, they call her by her sin, by her status, but not by her name, not by her real identity. They're sitting there with the Savior of the universe. The one who will reconcile, who stopped at nothing to reconcile the entire universe back onto himself. That's who they're hosting at their table. And they have the gall and audacity to look at her and say, this immoral woman. She comes in. And while disciples, true disciples, people who have been following Jesus, Peter, John, James, all of them, Thomas, while they're with Jesus, sitting around the table, reclining with the Pharisees, an immoral woman is found at the feet of Jesus. I wonder today, church, I wonder today, church, what our generation will look like. I am broken open by this scripture. I am torn up from the floor up by this scripture. I am radically messed up on the inside. This has troubled me deeply because man, if we could just get more of us to understand this moment in time, this woman, she had no miracles done in front of her. Jesus didn't feed 5,000 people in front of her. Jesus didn't watch a, uh, make a leg grow out in front of her. Jesus didn't lay across the boy and breathe life back into him. She wasn't there when Jarius rolled up and needed his daughter healed. She wasn't there when the woman of 12 years issue of blood got radically healed. She didn't see none of that. And yet, and yet, this immoral woman, and by that they mean prostitute. This woman is a prostitute. She has sold her body for money to achieve some sort of living condition, to be a part of a status. And yet, while the ones who have dropped their nets and began to follow Jesus are reclining with the Pharisees at their table, a woman who is labeled immoral, She is found worshiping at the feet of Jesus. So what is that? Because I look at our church. I look at the world at large. I look at the beautiful bride of Christ whom I love, and it is not my goal to criticize. It is my goal to say, come back to this place. Come back to the space. Come back to this place where we just get a foretaste for whom Jesus might be where we're not waiting for a miracle to find ourselves worshiping at the altar, where we're not waiting for the finances to come through to be worshiping at the altar, where we're not single for six months and waiting for God to bring us a man to finally worship, to finally pray, to finally pick up the phone and talk to him, that we would be a place in a people group, not takeover church, 
I don't want the rest of the bride to go that avenue, but if she is, let her go. This church, this house, we're not waiting on the Lord to uphold his end of the bargain before we worship and before we praise because Takeover Church recognizes, come on somebody, get ready to praise him, that God has already upheld his end of the bargain with Jesus. He doesn't owe me nothing. I owe him everything. And so here's this woman. She didn't wait for a miracle. She didn't pull the John Mayer and wait for the world to change. She didn't do any of that. Instead, all she had to go off was a foretaste of whom Jesus might be. Of whom he might be. All she's done is heard whispers She's heard Pharisees in her town saying, this guy, can you believe him? He's so arrogant. He's out here performing miracles, but he thinks he's the Messiah. Ah, he's probably just John Baptist re reincarnated. He's Elijah reincarnated. He's all these things. There's not even reincarnation in the Bible. And they would have known that, but because they can't explain it, they had to start, which is a lot like our generation, had to start, you know, you just had to throw Jesus out with the bathwater. And they're looking at this situation and so she's hearing the whispers from pharisees and religious rulers in her town that would have undoubtedly been ridiculing her chasing after her with stones they would have rather pharisees at the time would have rather have seen this woman stoned to death than being worshiped or worshiping at the feet of jesus they would prefer her to be stoned to death in front of her instead of breathing the same air as her. That is what the Pharisees would have loved for this immoral woman. And so she's hearing these whispers of who Jesus might be. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you can heal. Some say you opened the eyes of a blind man who was born blind. Some say you stopped the issue of blood of a lady who was bleeding for 12 years straight. Some say you've done some incredible things. Other people think you're a liar. Other people think you work for Beelzebub. Other people think you have a demon. Other people think that you work for the enemy. Other people think you're the Antichrist and we completely missed out on the desired and destined Messiah that was to come. Other people think this. And she had a foretaste of who Jesus might be through the doubt and the shame and the condemnation of all the good works that Jesus was doing, the miracles that he was performing, this woman who understood that she was broken, that she was torn apart, that she had given herself over to things that she never should have gave herself over to, that she had desires that she shouldn't have had, that she did a lot to achieve a certain class and it actually got her nothing because while she may have nice things, because of her job and her works and her acts, she wasn't ever welcomed at the seat of the Pharisees. Instead, she was labeled an immoral woman and asking why Jesus was even allowing her to wash his feet. So she sifted through all the lies and condemnation, all the celebrations and praise reports that were happening. She sifted through all these things and she thought to herself, if this guy is half of what I've heard, if this man, shoot, 
He doesn't have to be the coming Messiah because, again, she's Jewish. She was raised in this society. This is the one. This is the thing for her. She would have grown up reading that there was a lamb, a perfect and spotless lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. This is her upbringing. She would have known that promise was out there and that a guy would be coming and that a Savior would be coming. He would be the perfect, spotless, blameless lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. Church, hear me. Where she gets the audacity from, the boldness from in this moment, is because she understood one simple thing. If there's even a chance that he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth, that means that he was destined to sacrifice himself, to put himself on that cross before she ever sold herself before she ever committed a sin before she ever exchanged money children for sexual favors she knew if there's a chance then she has to go to him is he as kind as they say he is is he as merciful as he says he is can he really heal can he really redeem my broken heart? Can he really cut the outside flesh of my stone heart and give me a heart of flesh that is beating, that is alive, that is pure, that is active again? Can he really bring me back to life right here and right now? She got a foretaste. What is a foretaste? A foretaste, as Webster's Dictionary puts it, it's a taste example or subtle experience of a greater experience to come of a greater satisfaction to come you see you and me we're the church we're the church we're the bride of christ and when is the last time when is the last time that we had a foretaste like this when is the last time we had a foretaste for who he even might be who he might be. We have the Bible. We're on the other side of resurrection, okay? We have so much more to go on. She has only heard of him, but we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, haven't we? And when is the last time? When is the last time that we were driven to such a place? That we were driven to I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm not talking about manipulation. I'm talking about understanding that God is able, that he is better than I think he is, that he is greater than I know he is, that he is more kind and more merciful and more justice than I am. He loves more than I am capable of. When is the last time that we had such a foretaste that we had a word of who he might be? That we heard a lyric and it just, stir, it just stirred us up on the inside. That somebody in church gave us a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy that messed us up to the point of driving us to the feet of Jesus. A foretaste should always lead us in pursuit of Jesus. When is the last time? When is the last time that we felt God call us? That we heard from somebody, man, I got to get back to Jesus. I got to go to Jesus. 
oh man, they just have, if he is what they're saying he is, if he can do it in their marriage, if he can do it in their mental health, if he can do it for them in the midst of a pandemic, if he's this good, man, if he's half as good as I've heard. A forte should always lead us to pursuit. In pursuit of Jesus. So many of us. Our brokenness, unlike this woman, it leads us into hiding. It leads us into the woods. It leads us away from Jesus. And we have to make a decision. Are we going to be a generation? Are we going to be a generation? Are we going to allow the world to spin by without Jesus being a part of it? Because that's what we're doing. I'm not getting political. I'm not talking about all the stuff that's going on right now. What I am saying is that there's a generation of Christians that I love desperately. And I even love Gen Z and the next ones. They're wild. But man, they're creative. And they have ideas. And they're advancing in a lot of healthy ways. But are we going to allow the world to turn without Jesus having a say in it? Because here's the deal. Our lives, for most of us, we haven't sold our bodies for money. We haven't sold our bodies for money. You've not been asked after a sexual encounter, how much do I owe you? You haven't felt the shame that this woman's felt, the condemnation that she's gone through, the judgments and the harshness. She has seen the worst of society, this immoral woman. But our Bible tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And what that means is that you and I equally have missed the mark just as much as her. Just as much as her. And yet this woman, instead of hiding what it would have been so easy for us. Man, we got people, we get in, a, we get in an argument. We slip back into pornography. We do something, and I'm not minusculing what we do what I'm trying to do is maximize our savior we get so concerned with these things that we slip up on and we trip up on and we didn't set barriers and guardrails in front of so we would be safe instead we just choose to give more into our hang-ups to go further into our sin and we decide we're going to remove ourselves from the savior instead this woman she didn't hear about his condemnation or his judgment. She heard about his love and his kindness and his grace. And what ends up happening is her sin didn't lead her into hiding. It led her into worship. Because that weeping, that washing, that putting her hair and cleaning the feet of Jesus, could you even imagine the disciples discipline, quote-unquote, in the ways of Jesus, are reclining with the Pharisees, the leaders of religious law at the time, acting like fat cats at the table, yucking it up with upper echelon of society, 
And yet here's this immoral woman that I desire my generation and generations to come to look like. Because she has such a foretaste of what is to come that it drove her to worship at the feet of Jesus. I want a hunger and I want a foretaste that will drive me to be inconceivable. This is so audacious. She barged in uninvited as an immoral woman. This is different class society here, people. Pharisees, richest of the riches, okay? They were the ones that were leading the temple. They were it. They were celebrities. They were uh, Benefer, okay? They were who we look at in high society and we model our TikToks and our Instagrams and our lives after. We just want to be like them because they got cool stuff. Like, this is them. And here's this woman in a completely different tax bracket, in a completely different societal class, and what that foretaste of who Jesus even might be led her to live audaciously, led her to live boldly, led her to live radically, this is what a foretaste of Jesus should do in our lives and friends. We don't just have a taste because he's already went to the God, he's already went to the grave for you and for me. What we have, we have what his mission was. We are on the other side of this moment. We don't have to just have a foretaste of who Jesus might be. We get to have a relationship with who Jesus is. We don't just get to have a foretaste of what he might be able to do. We are benefactors of what he is able to do. He went to the cross. He died and rose again, and he sent us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. You see, Jesus, Jesus is the foretaste of a good idea. Jesus is a foretaste of what a man and a woman can actually live and experience look like with Father God. He is a foretaste of who we are able to be, what we are able to do, what we are called to be a part of. And this woman barges in to the richest of the richest, the most religious of religious. She barges in. She pays no never mind to the people that would rather see her dead. you got to understand that. For her sins, she would have been just like the woman at the well that day, the Samaritan woman. Had that Samaritan woman gone out at night or in the morning, she would have been killed because she had five husbands and now she has a living boyfriend as a sixth guy, okay? This is the kind of woman, except she is actually selling herself. They would put a plank on top of her body if they could catch her and then put rocks on it until it squashed her. Literally, that's what stoning is. That is the fate that would, would await her if Jesus wasn't there. If she would have barged into a Pharisee's house outside of Jesus being there, that's what would have awaited her. And yet here we are, the church of 2021, and suddenly we're allowing mandates to stop us from coming to the feet of Jesus. We're allowing, sorry, I've, I've got to get this off my chest. Be safe, be awesome, love you, rock a mask, get vaccinated, whatever. I don't bloody care, okay? What I'm telling you today is that, man, this isn't the first pandemic to hit the world and it won't be the last one. But guess what cannot keep us from the feet of Jesus? Anything. 
The world could shut down. Guns and tanks could line our streets. The worst of the worst could happen. Revelation could rule and reign. We would see that prop, uh, the prophetic book come to pass and things will get dark and it will be bad and then it will end. But you know what can't keep us from the feet of Jesus? Anything. Here we are. Most of us in this room, I believe that you are underneath and you are in relationship with Lord Jesus. He has cleaned you and he has washed you and he has forgiven you and he has set you up for the biggest win for all eternity. But are we found at the feet of Jesus? You see, this woman says this woman showed up with a jar. She showed up with this alabaster jar, and if you don't know much about alabaster, I'll explain it to you. Alabaster is actually gypsum. It's beautiful. It's white. It's lavish. The Bible calls it the most expensive and rare perfume. She shows up with this alabaster jar, and gypsum is equally, if not more, expensive in this day and age than the perfume itself. So here she is. She doesn't care that she could be stoned. She just wants Jesus. She doesn't care what her reputation is because she's already got the worst reputation you can have in this day and age. She just wants to be with Jesus. And what does she do? She brings along with her understanding what worship is because she's a Jew. She's been raised in this. She understands. And she brings her most valuable, prized possession she owns. Rare perfume that is clothed and kept in gypsum. And she brings that with her. And our Bible tells us, our Bible tells us that she begins to worship at the feet of Jesus. That she doesn't spare any perfume. That she doesn't come with more to dress herself up for her next John or her next client or her next person, her next patron, the next person that's going to rent her or buy her. Do you get the gravity of this situation? She comes with what is her most prized and valuable possession. And when the Pharisees are deeming her unclean and unfit and calling her a sinner, she's saying, no, I'm a worshiper. Because she brings what she is holds in the most highest regard, and she breaks it open for what she now holds in the highest of regard, King Jesus. If he is half of what she believed him to be, if he is any part of what she had heard, it would be worth the alabaster jar. It would be worth giving this thing up. It's so expensive. Man, if Judas was around, he would have stole it and sold it. Come on. This is how much this is worth. Glad I got you to laugh. She would have, she forsake everything that she had worked towards. Can we stop there for a second? Can we talk about that for a second? Because uh, because here's this gypsum alabaster jar with rare perfume in it. And she's at the feet of Jesus worshiping. Friends, the feet of Jesus is not for performance. It's for your perfume. It's not for your performance. It is for your perfume. This altar is not for a performance. 
Your workplace is not for your performance. Your house, your home, your family, your marriage is all of it. It's not about performance. It's about your perfume. And the reason I say that is because this is preachers and Christians and Jesus followers and devotion people, and we read our devotions every day. We hear this story, and we stop right there, and we go, she took her most valuable, prized possession, and she broke that at the feet of Jesus. And that's a beautiful message, and it's true. She spared no expense, expense when it came to our worship. For so many of us, we worry about the wear and tear on our cars, the gas in it, our home, our alone time, our personal time, our downtime. We worry about all of these things, these things that we value as the most prized possessions in our life. Maybe it's your instrument or a diamond ring or whatever. It's your most valued prized possession. And for us, we fight so hard to keep that intact, to keep it perfect, to keep it clean, to not allow it to break. But this woman, she takes her most valued thing and she would rather taste and see if Jesus is even a fraction of how good she's heard that he is. And yet we fight so hard to protect what's ours. Friends, we were never called to taste and see how good we are. We're called to taste and see how good he is. Friends, the thing that we never talk about when we talk about this verse is the dirty little secret about it. There's a dirty little secret in this verse. And it's the fact that she's a prostitute. Because while this is a great message, while all of us in this room probably earn an income by honorable means, by things our society would tell us is great to do, whether you're a server, you're a nurse, maybe you sell furniture, anything, actor, musician, our world would celebrate that. And everything you own came by honorable means probably. And yet here's this woman whose most valued and prized possession gypsum alabaster jar that she broke open at the feet of Jesus. How do you think she got that? That gypsum, that perfume, that rare perfume, the thing that she used to spruce herself up before her clients came by, <laughs> that was bought by her body. That was bought by her body. And that's the dirty little secret about this verse that we don't ever want to talk about. And I don't understand why. Because we have told an entire generation that this is about performance, but it's really about perfume. You want to know why? Because what this shows me, if I could just submit this to you, what has brought you shame can bring him worship. What has brought you condemnation can be used to bring him praise. Come on, somebody. What has brought you so much shame, guilt, condemnation, what has given you the worst possible reputation can be used to worship at the feet of Jesus. Yeah, you can praise him. Give it up for God. He is so worthy. <laughs> That's the dirty little secret. Can you imagine how many clients and how many people and how many things she would have regretted and had to do to obtain such a rare item. And yet she thought, not like the American church does, 
not like the European church does. Not like the world at large does. <laughs> she thought of Jesus was any fraction at all of who he said he was or who she heard he had been and done. It was worth what she had sold herself for so many times. Because while she was found breaking open her alabaster jar at the feet of Jesus, chains were being broken off her. While she was found cleaning the feet of Jesus, Jesus was cleaning her. This is what was taking place. While she came in with an immoral reputation, she left that house with an eternal salvation. That is what our God does. That is who Jesus says he is. And there is no excuse for you and I to leave this place, to leave this place on a Sunday and live in any such way. We have to be driven to the feet of Jesus. We have to be driven in worship. We have to be driven in pursuit. When was the last time you had a foretaste that he was even a fraction of what you've heard? See, friends, the Pharisees, they challenged Jesus. They challenged Jesus and they said, who is this man that he can sit there and say these things? And so Jesus challenges them and it's Simon and he says this in verse 41 through 50. The Pharisees are saying, bro, you shouldn't even let this woman touch you. You're half of what we've heard that you are. You shouldn't let this woman touch you. Don't you know she's a sinner? Don't you know she's a heathen? Don't you know she's a godless Jezebel? Don't you know who she is? And Jesus pays no attention to what these idiots had to say about this woman and what he does next is absolutely miraculous. 41 through 50, Jesus said, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that, Jesus asked. Simon answered, I suppose the one from whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. That's right, Jesus said, I'm so grateful. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears. She has wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with a rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, they have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little only shows a little love. And then Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table, they gawk at him, they laugh at him. Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus, he says this to Simon. Just by, just spitballing here. Say I gave 
500 to this guy, 50 to this guy, and neither of them could pay me back. And I chose to forgive them. Who do you think loves me more? Who do you think is more appreciated? Who do you think will be found at my feet worshiping me? Who do you think would be the first one to get there and set up chairs with no acknowledgement whatsoever simply because they just want to serve the kingdom of God? Who do you think would just give everything they have to see the kingdom of God advance, the actual kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Matt McClure, not the kingdom of whatever pastor you've ever had before, but would actually just give their lives to see the kingdom of God advance? Out of those two, Peter, who do you think, uh, who do you think would do it? And he looks at him, well, I suppose. All of a sudden he gets super British. I suppose. Uh, kidding. The one who he forgave more. And he says, that's right. Friends, today, could it be that we have not had a foretaste like this of who Jesus is because we have failed to recognize just how good Jesus is? Could it be that we have failed to recognize how good, how kind. Here we have, can I say this? We live in a time in a place where we are a generation celebrating the liberation of sex workers. And here Jesus is, our wonderful Savior, who wants to save sex workers. This is how far we have missed the plot. This is by how far we have come. This is the time and space that we live in when the world celebrates one thing and Jesus wants to save everything. Could it be, friends, that the reason we don't have a foretaste like this that would drive us to our knees at this altar every single Sunday? By the way, before we leave this place, there's somebody who's going to throw their pack of cigarettes on this stage today and they're going to leave here addiction-free. Anyways, if that's you, get ready to throw the marbles, baby. Could it be that we do not understand how good Jesus is because we don't understand how much in desperate need of him we actually are? I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. Lord knows that right now in the world today, three terrible letters, one, one syllable word is so out of question. They just want to throw it out. It is archaic. It is this. It is that. It's used to hold people down. It's colonial. It's patriarchal. It's all these things that people want to claim that it is. But friends, it's real and we have it and Jesus is the cure for it. And friends, we have sin. We have sin. We are sinners. We have sinned. We will sin. Things will happen. We will make choices that go against what God says is the bullseye target for our lives. And there is beautiful, perfect, perfect, shameless, blameless Jesus waiting at the door. Could it be that we haven't had a foretaste like this because we failed to recognize our desperate need for our Savior? Friends, I want to tell you today. We will not achieve a foretaste that will drive us to our knees. We will not experience what this woman experienced. We will not live with such a conviction and mission within our heart where we will bring our most valued and prized possessions and break them at the Lord's feet. We will not live in such a way until we understand that we are in desperate need of a Savior. He is so much better than we are bad. You've got to get this on the inside of you today, but you have also got to recognize we are this woman. I've never sold my, my body for money. 
And I would probably be pretty good at taking a gamble in this room today that probably you haven't either. But do you know what we have done? We have given ourselves over to things that have promised us one thing, but then have pulled the rug out from underneath us. We have trusted in idols. We have trusted in lesser gods. We have thought a man or a woman can complete us and bring us the absolution we desire for our lives, but it can only be found in Jesus. We have stepped out in our marriages via pornography. We have broken covenant with people that we've entered into. We have had premarital sex. We've done all of these things. Like things have happened like this, okay? We have fallen short of the glory of God. If it's a white lie or a prostitute, we have fallen short. And we've grown up in a world and with a church that's told us, do better, strive harder. And yeah, there's areas that we can put up guardrails better and we can choose our people better, absolutely. But there's only one thing that's gonna bring us salvation. There's one thing that's gonna change our minds. There's one thing that's going to change our character. There's one thing that's going to change how we view members of the opposite sex. There's going to be one thing that, that uh, changes how we view members of a different race or ethnicity. There is one thing that is going to show us how much the value of human life is. There is one thing that's going to tell us it's not okay to continue to abort babies. Like, there's going to be one thing that can actually unite and reunite, but we have to first understand that we are in the same boat as this woman and we should be sharing some rug with her. We should be sharing some hardwood floor with her. We should be not reclining at the table with the Pharisees. We should be down on our hands and knees crying at the feet of Jesus because he is that good and we are that in need. It's not shame. Previously, the church has said, shame on you. But Jesus is saying, shame off you, grace on you, mercy on you, love on you, salvation on you, condemnation off of you. And it's all found at the feet of Jesus. Worship team, you can make your way up here. It's found at the feet of Jesus. You see, in this moment, while Jesus is being chastised and the Pharisees are talking mad trash to him and they're trying to undermine his leadership and his authority in this moment trying to pull the rug out from underneath him and they would rather stone this woman that is at his feet than breathe the same air as her and Jesus says to her he says to her words that will change her life forever. He says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Seven words. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Jesus tells this woman seven words that would radically change her life. Every other house that she's been welcomed into, do you know what her departing words were? Get out before my wife comes home. Thanks for a good time, babe. How much do I owe you? Get out of here, you immoral woman, you wicked woman. Those are the words this woman would have heard leaving a house 
up until this moment. You see, these Pharisees, they were familiar with her. They knew who she was. They probably scoffed at her, chucked rocks at her, judged her. Some of them might have even abused her. Like, this is how wicked things were back then, and it ain't gotten any better now. That's what she would have been told previously to this encounter with Jesus when she was leaving a home. But what Jesus says to her doesn't reek of guilt, doesn't have the stench of shame, doesn't undermine her identity as a person. Instead, what Jesus says to her is actually a perfect sentence. Because seven is the biblical number for, for perfection, for completion. And do you know what happened in that moment? She experienced salvation. It's no mistake that he said seven words to her. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. This woman's never left a home before in peace. And yet Jesus says perfection to her. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Friends, how many of us as disciples of Jesus, disciplined in the ways of Jesus, how many of us can say we actually live in peace? He's better than we think he is. He's more kinder than we think he is. He is greater. He is mightier. He is quicker. He is on the move more than we can ever even acknowledge him. If you would stand to your feet. Today I want to leave at the feet of Jesus. Today I want to leave with the peace of Jesus. Today I want to leave with the revelation that he, if he is a fraction of what I've screamed on a microphone for an hour, if, that, if he's a fraction of what Pastor Matt has said, then I cannot help but go after it. Friends, she now has peace. She gave up. She broke into pieces. Her most prized possession. But what she left this moment with was salvation and peace. Peace, the same peace that Jesus offers every single one of us in this room. No longer was she judged by her reputation, but she was judged by her salvation. And you know what's awesome? Is that peace and that salvation, all these things are still welcome to you and I. But first we have to understand how desperately we need it. And that we need to desire it so greatly that it drives us to be wild, to be undignified, to get on the knees before the Lord and friends and strangers and gawkers and onlookers. And we need to fall apart at the feet of Jesus. Friends, we have a lot of things. We have a lot of possessions. We have a lot of identities and we have a lot of words that are thrown on us. We have a lot of history, we have a lot of shame, we have a lot of condemnation, we have a lot of mistakes. But greater than those, we have a savior 
who right now is speaking the same. Would you just lift your hands and begin to receive this right now? We're going to go back into worship. Would you just begin to lift your hands and receive this? We have a Savior above all of these labels, above all of the guilt, above all of the darkness. We have a Savior that is saying the same seven perfect words to you and to me right now. He is saying, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. You don't have to have a lot of things that will ultimately end up having you. You can have me and I can have you. Right now, worship team, yeah, let's go. Let's go there. Worship team, come on. Come to the table, church. Let's go in this moment. Let's not miss God in this moment. This is your 